0: Good morning. So I found myself in the 8:30 service uh, whispering a lot, and I don't know why. Um, so most of my teaching felt a little bit like I was whispering, and so uh, I'm going to need your help to encourage me to not go into a pattern of whispering. If that's okay, is it all right if I exude a little energy during this? Cause you can walk I can walk around. I, I, I felt. I, I got to be honest, I felt super restrained, and like, I don't know what exactly uh, caused that. I think I did it last time I was here, and, uh, and then the second service, I, I loosened up. So um, I'm just going to go loose, and if it's too much, just don't invite me back. It's all right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. Um, you guys have a beach here. I'll just do that, you know. Um, this passage of Scripture has really helped me and encouraged me along the way. Uh, he's watching Jesus love on the disciples and what I've found to just kind of highlight and tease out in this passage is comes from the first verse here before Passover before the Passover festival Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end and that really blesses me In other translations, it says, to the limit or the full extent. He loved them to the full extent, to the limit. And I just love reading of Jesus' love being one that doesn't end. Uh, We live in a world where it seems like love can be given and taken depending on if you say the right thing or do the right thing. And that isn't what's being said here in John It is saying that Jesus' love is not only consistent and trustworthy, but it doesn't stop. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you've suffered the loss of someone who you thought at one point loved you or was going to go with you to the end. Maybe it was a friend. Uh, Maybe it was a a Netflix series that ended on you. It's a little too early. Um, But we all know the disappointment of really being failed with something or someone that we think we can trust all the way to the end. Now, the disciples, just like us, we're products of a culture, uh, a broken culture that expected something, that part of we, what the direction is is to be at the head of the table. Actually, we find them fussing with one another to be who's going to sit at your right and who's going to be uh, the best. And, and that isn't the pattern that Jesus is laying out before them. And just like them, I don't know if you're that way, but sometimes I learn better by someone demonstrating before me how I should do it. Versus just telling me. Some of the greatest mentors and coaches in my life not only told me what to do, but they showed me what to do. And that is what we see Jesus doing in this passage of Scripture. Uh, For a first point I have here, oh, how he loves us. And I get that from watching him modeling something that is important right before he is to be crucified. That he gets up from the table during supper, during an enjoyable time that they are reclining at the table. They are laughing. They are probably just enjoying each other's company. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Jesus gets up, takes off his cloak and ties it around his waist. And he picks up a basin and he pours the water. And then he comes over and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, this would have really caught them off guard because this isn't something that the head of the table, that the leader would have done. In their context, it would have been reserved for someone who wasn't Jewish and would have been a slave to the household. That they would have served the visitors at the house. They would have served the people. It wouldn't have been um, the people who owned the home. It would have been someone who worked in the home. And Jesus disrupts their categories. As the leader, as the center of attention, he lays out before them this beautiful picture of how he wanted them to treat each other. I love that. I love it. Uh, and, and I see Peter didn't understand it. And I'm sure the rest of them didn't understand it. And, of course, in true fashion of Peter, uh, he begins to tell the Lord, no. And then he begins to tell the Lord, all right, wash all of me. Like he goes from one end all the way to the other extremely fast. And I've been that way before. And one thing that I, th- I thought was pretty Uh, interesting was him telling the Lord no Uh, have you ever told the Lord no uh, that you wouldn't do something that you weren't going to do it the way he wanted as if your plan was better Uh, we uh, were doing ministry in Dallas for seven years and our plan was we would probably take over a church in decline And So my wife and I were on our way, driving up 30 through Arkansas, listening to a podcast. And the podcast that day was church planning versus church revitalization. And we looked at each other and said, what knucklehead would plant a church? Church planning is hard. There are no resources. We had been a part of a church plant before with no resources. And it was very, very hard. At this point in Dallas, I worked on a staff a church of 5,000 people. I had four full time employees that reported to me, a uh, hundred volunteers, and tons of resources. I figured, Lord, this is definitely the plan for my life because church planning requires no money and serving in a context that's extremely hard. And so, as we're on this trip to drop our son off at college, on the way back, in true fashion, the Lord completely disrupts our hearts and says, and calls us to plant a church. Wow. <laughs> It's as if he saw and heard our plans and laughed and changed our hearts immediately. And this is what Peter is doing. Lord, no, you can't wash my feet. And then all of a sudden, Lord, wash all of me. I've learned not to tell the Lord no. I still try to negotiate with him. But I don't think he's too interested in even my negotiation. We can ask Moses about that. And so in this passage, we see Jesus doing everything. He fills the water basin. He washes their feet. He dries their feet. Now, he could have sent John or Peter or one of the disciples to get the basin, to get the water, but he does it all himself. And then he gives them the explanation later that this is something that I'm laying out for you so that you can do it for each other. It was so disruptive. Because that isn't where their culture was pointing them to go. Jobs like this were reserved for others. And we know that this isn't a practice that was happening in the church. This is more of um, hygiene mixed with hospitality. And yet now the Lord is using it to teach us a spiritual demonstration. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling the story and he's talking about, you know, uh, you've fed me, you've clothed me, you've visited me. And they're like, Lord, when did we do that? And he's saying "And when you visited those people in prison and when you fed those who were hungry, you've ministered to me. And he is teaching us and showing us in both of these passages that even some of the most practical things can be a great ministry to those around us. I feel like. We get that sometimes, and sometimes we lose it. And here, what I'm realizing is that I have to constantly be in a fight for humility to serve those who the Lord has called me to serve. That I can get caught up in ministry and Christian activities and forget about the people around me. And not just in my community, but also my brothers and sisters in my church. That I don't often show up with a posture to serve I show up with the posture of whatever the next ticket on the item is for me to click off. A few weeks ago, this young lady was in our church, and my wife said she seemed to be a little off, and I said hi to her. And my wife followed up with her and followed up again with her to find out that the night before she had uh, attempted to take her life. And I'm so busy trying to organize my mind, to get my sermon ready, to make sure my church plan is growing, to make sure I'm taking care of the things that I need to be taking care of, that I could be sitting right next to someone going through a world of pain and not know that God has sent me that day to encourage them or to strengthen them. And I think this is what he is saying to his disciples, be cautious and be careful to serve and love one another in an uncommon way, and so, Jesus sits down, he begins to teach, he begins to instruct. I reached out to a friend of ours who's a church planner in Pittsburgh and um, was getting an update on their church plan and he was saying how uh, he was discipling this young lady, him and his wife, and she is new to the faith, and she's just looking for ways to serve and give her life away to Jesus. She's a traveling nurse, and during this time of our world, that is a, there's a premium for traveling nurses, and she makes great money, and she's able to travel from city to city. And now she's being discipled into the faith, and so she found out that they were going down to a dollar store to pick up trash. So she goes down to the dollar store to pick up trash in $300 boots because she doesn't have $40 boots to pick up trash But for her, she was just excited to be used for the Lord. Oh, I remember early in my walk with Jesus, how I was excited to pick up the kids for Sunday school. I would pick the kids up from Sunday school. I would fuss with the ones who were late. I would get them into the classroom. I would teach them. I would feed them, and I would drive them all back home. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for using me. And I forget quickly the feeling of being able to serve and give my life away. In that way, especially as time goes, we forget about the things that we used to do and how we would serve people with excitement. And Jesus is given this example. Yesterday I was supposed to come early so that I can have some time to at least see the sun go down on the ocean. And I got a phone call. My wife and I were working at the building, I was mopping the floors, getting ready for Sunday and a lady from the community called and said, um, "Are you? Will you be at the funeral tomorrow?" And I said, "What? What funeral? I didn't know about funeral." Well, there was this lady in our community who has served our community for all of her life, almost, and her funeral was the next day, and she, they were asking if I would read something at the funeral. And I said, "What? What time is the funeral?" And the funeral is at eleven. I said, "Well, maybe I can get out in good time to get down uh, to paulie's Island." And so I sat there and what I feel as though was the longest funeral in the history of funerals. <laughs> Especially when you have something to do and somewhere to go. Uh, it, two o'clock, it was two o'clock and they, the preacher hadn't even gotten up yet. The reason why the funeral was so long is one, she, pro, she put her own program together. And it, and, oh, it, it, was, it was a lot. and, and but the reason she put it together is she just wanted to everyone to have an opportunity that she felt wanted to say something, and so the mayor was there. There was a senator there. There was a congressman there. This was a 95-year-old lady who had retired in 1988. She was a simple home ec teacher uh, for all of her time in school. Retired in 88, and in eight, 1988 she began what seems to be a a roller coaster ride of great exploits for her community. She established this neighborhood group because she saw crime going up in the community. She established uh, all these after-school programs. She would pick up kids and students and adults for choir rehearsal, and she retired from doing the two neighborhood groups. One of them was local, the other one was a national neighborhood group. She retired in 2021 from those two programs. Now, I'm 43 years old. And I feel like I'm tired sometimes. But this lady with a walker is still pouring her life out to reach people in her community. And when she was asked uh, back in December, well, since you're stepping down from being the president of the National Neighborhood Group and you're stepping down from being the president of the local neighborhood group, will you be stepping down from leading the choir? And she said, the Lord hasn't told me to step down from the choir. A few weeks ago, she was she called me and she was on her way to California to visit her brother who wasn't doing well. She's 95 years old and she's going to go check in on her little brother because she wants to see his face. She has a walker. She still drives. She still leads. This is a strong woman. She got back and she got sick and got an infection and she passed away. As I listen to the things that she's done her entire life, I'm watching this woman 95 years old, still feeling the need to pour her life out for others, to leverage every bit of strength and energy that she has, and then to see her faithfully still feeling called to lead the choir in her church. And when she got sick, she called the assistant director and said, I'll be back next week. Here are the songs that are all printed out and ready to go. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I I would love that. I don't want a long funeral, but I would love for that to be the story. Not anything great other than leveraging everything that I have for the Lord's glory. I want people who would assume that I would drive past them feel seen and loved. I want to have a heart that wants to wash feet and reminds me that just as Jesus washed his disciples' feet... That, that should be a consistent song in my heart, that I don't grow past that or beyond that. But n- not only do I want to be able to do that, but I, I want to do it like Jesus, who washes Peter's feet and all the great disciples, but he also washed the betrayer's feet. He took time to even wash Judas' feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I love doing things for people that I love, people who like me and people who encourage me. But I don't always like serving people who are a bit ornery, if you know what I mean. The ones that I know have said something about me or have done something about me or are planning to do something, I find that tough. But I see Jesus, knowing what Judas was gonna do, washing his feet. Now, looking back, I'm sure John is thinking, wow, look at this. It's not because we're good, because Judas is included. It's not because we're deserving, but it's because he is good. And because he is good, we can serve those who are a little challenging, those who seem to be on the fence or even on the other side of the fence. But the priority here isn't you deserving it. No, the priority is because he is asking us to do it. Romans 5, 7 says, For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps, someone might even dare to die. But God proved his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our relationship with Jesus is based on him being good amen so Jesus washes the feet of his friends washes the feet of Judas sits down and gives them the explanation in verse 15 he says for I have given you an example that you also should just do this just as I have done for you Now, I don't know about you, but I would have been very excited to wash Jesus' feet. I'm going to be honest, because of who he is. But that isn't the pattern that Jesus has given to his disciples. It is to wash each other's feet. It is to wash my neighbor's feet. When I worked in Dallas, our missions pastor came to my office one day, and he said, Charles, uh, we have a, a mission trip that we're about to take to Mexico. And I want you to go and be a part of that team. To which I responded to him quickly, no thank you. Now, I had been watching the news and seeing that there was different things happening in Mexico. And I I figured it was, I had the option to say yes or no if I wanted to do it. And I told him no. And as soon as he left my office, I was so convicted. I felt as if I had taken on a posture that I will serve God at my convenience. Not at his call, but my convenience. And so I called him back and I said, Pastor Boone, if you'll have me, I'll I'll go to Mexico and serve. Now the other reason behind it being a little frightening for me and and it being a little inconvenient was the fact that I failed Spanish in high school. (laughs) And I felt that my greatest asset to ministry was communication. And I know I'm not doing a great job this morning, but I felt like, well, this is what I do. I talk, I engage with people, I can share the gospel. This is what what I would do on a mission trip. And so I went anyway, and I surrendered to the Lord, and it it was the greatest ministry experience of my life. A few times I got to speak with the translator. It was very hard because you got to stop and wait for them. It's a little challenging. But what I did most of the time was play soccer and kickball and basketball with the kids while everyone else communicated the gospel. And at the end of that trip, when we were finishing up, uh, the kids would come up to me with flowers and all different types of gifts, and they would talk to me. They would come up to me trying to talk to me in Spanish, and I would say, I don't know Spanish. And they would laugh, and they would give me flowers, and they would hug me. And and the Lord taught me pretty quick, "I, I just wanted you to be here. But I also wanted to teach you something about being with people, that the power of touching them and reaching them is always By my spirit. You don't bring that much to the table, Charles, but I do need you to go. I need you to be with people. And yes, I need you to play soccer and lose a lot to young children. And that helped shape my ministry. So when I would go on other trips to South Africa or in the prison, I realized quickly that part of me being there was being with people. And yes, Even when I don't know the language well, I've watched the Lord do miracles. Jesus' act of humility was unnecessary, stunning, and at the same time was a tremendous display of love. If there was anyone in the room who should have been relegated to washing feet, It definitely wasn't Jesus. Not only does he love to the end, but he loves us in our worst position. He loves us when we fail. He loves us when we think our service to him is like the dollar menu at McDonald's, that we pick and choose how we serve. He loves us when we get it right, and he loves us when we get it wrong. So for me, I want to always find pleasure in serving and washing the feet of those around me. We have some seniors in our church who asked me, uh, because we have another location, how, how can we best serve this part of the community? And so we did a demographic study, and we realized that the, the age group's higher in that part of the community. And so what we're going to do is create programming specifically during the week to help serve our seniors in our community. Not just to provide a salad or soup, but to provide a community to love on them and for them to be seen and felt. And I think that's what's missing sometimes in what we do. Is that we go and we run and life is so fast paced that we miss the small, simple things that we could do to encourage and strengthen people. Jesus says, when you clothe those who are naked, when you give a drink to those who are thirsty, you serve Me. I'll close with this. I had read this story from uh, this evangelist, this Canadian evangelist, Harry Ironside, and he tells a story about a, a Caesar Nicholas I of Russia. He had assigned a young soldier to a military border fortress to put him in charge of the money and to pay the soldiers. As the story unfolds, the young man had a gambling problem and he lost a significant amount of the government's funds. And one day he heard that an official was coming to inspect the books and he knew he was in serious trouble. He totaled up the amount he owed and wrote on a page, a great debt, who can pay? And so he realized that he couldn't face the terrible dishonor the next day held, so he determined to take his own life at midnight. Now he had acquired a habit of putting on uh, the the uniform and, and, and patrolling the area, but on this night... He had different things in mind. Now, Nicholas, he had a strange habit also, that he would disguise himself sometimes and patrol his areas with his guys. And so he also put on a uniform, like a common soldier, to visit his troops. He did this on the particular night where this young man had decided that he was going to take his life, but he had fallen asleep. And so when Nicholas went looking for his friend, he found him asleep, and he read the note. Moved by a generous impulse, he leaned over, picked up a pen, and wrote in it. The man sl- slept well past midnight, suddenly jerked awake and reached for his revolver. And as he did so, he caught sight of the note, a great debt who can pay. And under it, he saw one word that had not been there before, Nicholas. He rushed over to the files to find the signature of Caesar and compared it with the signature on his note, and it was genuine. And he said to himself, Caesar had been here tonight and knows all my guilt, yet he has undertaken to pay my debt. I need not to die. I found this to be a very incredible story as I think through what's about to happen to our Lord and Savior as he's washing the feet of his followers a great debt he was about to pay on their behalf and all who would choose to follow him and he paid and laid his life down as a ransom so that we may have access to everlasting life and how great of a story is this to tell for those who are bound in sin who don't know that there is liberty and freedom in Christ and a simple pathway sometimes to get an audience with those who have never heard or think that Jesus has, would want nothing to do with them to know that we follow a Savior who is worthy to be worshipped, but he also washes feet. And so how will we wash feet to remind people that we too follow in the example of our Lord and Savior to seek after those who are lost, hurt, hungry, and without So that we can tell them the story also about how Jesus paid a debt that we owed. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. And as you shape your church to be your hands and your feet. In a culture that seems to be going in the opposite direction. Just as the disciples were reclining at the table, we too recline and forget that we are also called to serve. So Lord, let us balance out our walk with pouring out ourselves the same way you trained your followers. Lord, open our eyes to see the the great opportunities and adventures before us. Lord, I want to have a testimony like the 95-year-old Estelle McCadden, who if she was still alive was, would be leading her choir this morning. Lord, can you help us see the places that are dark right now in our city, in our region, the places that are void of your truth and help us lace up our shoes to walk in there, to serve, And to declare your truth so that every man, woman, and child can hear your good news. Let us exhaust ourselves in those ways, Lord, whether it's going, giving, serving. Let us all be found guilty of being busy for you. In Jesus' name, amen.